0: The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Amplifier Advisors, LLC, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jonathan Aberman.
1: Years ago, I heard a successful entrepreneur say that there were two ways to raise capital. That was the hard way, and the really hard way. At the time, I thought it was a pretty funny line and laughed a little, but over the years, I've realized that was a pretty apt description. You know, I've raised money myself, and I've helped others do it. Sometimes we've succeeded, but frankly, more often than that, we've failed. Raising money is tough, but it is necessary for many businesses. Well... Many of our listeners are looking for guidance on the process of how to raise capital, so we brought three guests into the studio today to talk about their experiences with fundraising and how they would help entrepreneurs or advise entrepreneurs to approach it. They each have a unique perspective, which I think will help us shape a conversation that provides provide insights from many directions to help all of our listeners who are interested in this topic really go off and do something truly difficult, raising capital grow their businesses. With me in the studio is Jamie Harvey. A serial entrepreneur has raised outside capital throughout his career and has the scars to prove it. Jamie, good to see you.
0: I can't show them on the radio, though.
1: Well, we're, we're I think, somehow <laughs> glad of that. Uh, John Funge is currently an investor at Data Tribe and previously was a serial entrepreneur of some success, or more than some success. He's been uh, involved in fundraising now from both perspectives. John, great to have you.
2: Jonathan, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: I'm Mark Modica. He's founder of Modscore. Mark's been part of our tech community for many years. He's helped hundreds of regional startups raise capital, and he thinks he
3: may have found a new tool to help them find startup capital. Mark, great to see you. Hey, great to see you, too. I was originally, uh, Jamie and I go way back. He was like one of my first clients and uh, helping raise capital. And uh, I've seen those scars, and they're not pretty. True, well, true story.
0: True he's, story. Not, he's not that pretty <laughs> you, either, know, if you know, even to
1: feel like we're in that scene in jar, uh, Jaws where all it's missing now is we all can roll up our arms and like, this is where NEA took a chunk <laughs> out of my arm.
3: But no, we, we, we definitely need a bigger boat. We
1: definitely need a bigger <laughs> boat to raise fundraising. So what makes fundraising
3: such a such a painful process then? You know, it's one of the reasons I started this thing called Modscore, and I've been doing this for a long time. The thing is it, that makes it most painful is that most founders or entrepreneurs don't realize that they're actually in a buying selling process. They're selling their company and not selling it, but they have to, you're selling something and you have to understand your buyers. And over, over time, back in the day, um, back in the 90s when we were doing this, you, the buyers were looking for a product, a little revenue and some other financial metrics and I call them financial investors. And over time, the guys in San Francisco have really kind of taken over and they're what I call more market investors they're looking to throw bigger money at trying to own a market. And they're, and, they're, and they're not looking at sort of the same metrics that the financial investors are looking at. And so here, particularly in this area, I think a lot of people pitch their deals. And and so for, for me, there's, there's, there's something that's happening. I was talking to Jamie about this and I'll end this real quick. There, there's, there's so many seed companies that are getting funded now across the nation, across the world, thousands and thousands and thousands. And then the data will show you that the number of A and B rounds, which they really need, is going down. But the amount per round is going up. So you got these big funds, big capital. The partners haven't changed, so they have to deploy more capital. So what you see is this bifurcation, there's this huge hole in the market. Lots of seed. Lots of later stage growth and their middle growth is really getting harder to get.
1: So for you, Mark, uh, the the big pain point for an entrepreneur is understanding that fundamentally there's growing a business to satisfy customers, but having a business that's a financial asset may be two different things. Jamie, what's your experience?
0: I mean, I think what what people don't know about raising money when they get into it is that uh, while you're raising your money, you're actually investing your life um so like you're you're taking all of your time and your passion and like attention that you could be spending on your family or your well-being and you're pouring it into going out and talking to people who don't understand what you do and having them tell you no all the time and um so that that creates a kind of stress that uh that people don't understand um i was just uh reminiscing with mark about the early days of of my first company digital addiction and when we got our first big break you know i was trying to raise a I was trying to raise half a million dollars on a mill of a pre-pre money, and you know the deal came back at you know a quarter of a million at a half, which I was like, okay, let me think about that for a second. Uh, yes, right. Um, and you know while we were in the process, you know at the very end, two two painful things happened. One, the the guy that I worked with, who was the CFO uh, for Mark, uh, his virtual CFO company, uh, got crammed down in the round. So like my friend essentially like got thirty thousand dollars taken away from him in the round, and I had to go tell him that. And, you know, the other thing was that the investor's uh, cockatoo bit me in the middle of my presentation and took a giant chunk out of my hand, um, at which point they said, you're funded. The bird loves you. And I was like, um, that was Doug wow. Obviously. Yeah, it was Doug. Hey, Doug. The, um, so, you know, it was a funny thing because like I was the, the bird liking me had been this big part of like the like connecting with this investor and his bird like me and like we're doing the pitch. And then the bird bit me and I thought, oh, no. I'm screwed. The bird bit me. I've been. uh, But but, but the bird biting, it was actually like great. And I thought to myself, is he afraid I'm going to sue him? Because I've
1: got a new listener contest. Every (laughs) listener said a bird bites him. It's part of fundraising. I'm giving $50. Now we'll go on. So for you, Jamie, it was really it was the personal aspect, giving up your life, um, the sacrifices and then dealing with with, frankly, eccentricity to get money from delivering
0: people. bad news to people mm-hmm. i mean like when you invested in one of my companies i had to come and tell you hey i'm shutting it down i mean like and i bit you and you, <laughs> <laughs> you were great you were great but you know, not that, everybody is so great but that wasn't a not positive not everybody thing. is <laughs> so great it's um <laughs> you know, I know I, – all kidding aside, you know, I, I know founders uh, who have up, have killed themselves. I know founders yeah. who have ended up institutionalized. You know, it is very Well, it's tough. tough. It, it, it look, is tough.
1: Startups and entrepreneurship attract it, – it's so binary. It actually does attract people who have binary personalities. Definitely. I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges I had as an investor is separating the people that were a little bit off the wall enough to want to take the challenge from people who are truly off the wall. It's. I think a lot of the due diligence is actually to try to figure out if an entrepreneur is – is saying
0: if you're a woman you will probably be sexually harassed
1: that's harsh you're a
0: if you're a a person of color you are going to face discrimination and i don't mean like necessarily by everybody but i would say out of like the 30 angel investors i dealt with in the 90s i know two of them turned into people that mistreated people
1: so, so what are you getting at is I'm gonna John speak and he's dying yeah to, no I've got a couple of thoughts here I wanted yeah, to share so yeah, it's it's about people so far yeah. as I'm hearing good bad and otherwise well, it,
2: on the point with the entrepreneur it's very one of the things I think is that entrepreneurship fundamentally I mean it's a it, there's a there's a, almost like an artist like there's a side to it that is actually not entirely rational like if you're purely coldly rational you probably won't be an entrepreneur and I think most like really sort of inspired founders know that at some level so from my experience, I've actually had this kind of unique opportunity to be on both sides of the table. So my own background, I'm a multi-time entrepreneur. I founded, built and sold three companies, all in the DC metro area. So I know this tech ecosystem decently well and the various people here. And then a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity. I work now at Data Tribe, and we're a, a venture investor uh, startup studio and foundry, uh, primarily focused on cybersecurity and, and uh, AI intensive companies that we invest in. And it's very interesting. I think one of the things that makes Challenging for entrepreneurs is that, um, by and large, founders are super passionate, super knowledgeable. They're um, you know deep in certain uh, discipline, but what they're not deep in is necessarily the business of venture and. One of the things one only needs to look at the NVCA docs, which I encourage any entrepreneur to do. I mean, if you're if you're thinking about going kind of starting, you know, kind of raising money, That's in a National venture venture capital association, Nash, exactly. Docs and, on their website and they so have the like investment documents so look like. So the thing okay. of it is, is that <clears throat> there's some very clever people that work in finance, as we know, and they've been uh, tinkering on deal structure. Like even just in this conversation, you guys are using terminology that the average like kind of starter entrepreneur would have no idea. You know, cram down this and that. And the thing is, there's this massive knowledge asymmetry. And so one of the things I would encourage, um, like two things that I think are really important is that the entrepreneur needs to target their investors. Like one you know, ounce of of targeting will save you massive amounts of effort in terms of just having a mismatch and targeting with regard to their in- investment interest, how active they are. Do they actually have funds to deploy? Are they, um, you know, are they the size that, do they write checks that are the size you need? Like all those types of things can save you a lot of effort. But the other thing is try, and there are plenty of books and blogs and things, try to understand the business of venture. So even, I mean, I raised money like a couple times for different companies. And then in the last couple of years, I've found myself, like my eyes open and learning all these things about the kind of the inside view of venture. And I think the better you can empathize mutually, um, but w- with the, with the, what the v- the VC or the investor trying to do, the better you can position yourself to align with their goals and, and the more success you'll have.
1: You know, that's just something that's said in a lot of, um, a lot of podiums, a lot of times. And, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs feel like, oh God, the rich guys told telling me what to do. But at the end of the day, I can tell you, speaking from my perspective, Amplifier never wrote a check larger than half a half million dollars. And I would get emails lobbed over the transom all the time, we're raising the $10 million round. Well, well good for you. I, I, I help start companies. I don't raise, I don't go do series, <sighs> be series. Just not targeting. But somebody thinks mm-hmm. that it, it's worth my time to look at it, and yeah. just, you just get
3: overwhelmed. Yeah. Go ahead, Mark. Well, and so like, like the, part of the reason I created this mod score thing was just for that, because I get a lot of people that I, I spend. I spent when I was consulting and helping people raise capital. I spent eighty percent of my time telling them most of the stuff they were told is a myth, and that's a real problem. So I have. So remember, there's buyers and sellers. So if you're a seller, an entrepreneur, and you're going to a buyer, and the buyer's telling you that you shouldn't raise more than three million dollars, but their funds that write checks for three million dollars, it's a lie. It's like they don't know how much money you actually need, and you shouldn't listen to that. They're telling you, sh- you what you need based upon what they can give you. Right. Forever. So the whole industry is a pretty much a monopoly on a lot of stuff, and it's kind of changing, but the monopoly is, is like you have to come to me for money. I'm the only place to come. Now people like you and now your, your company, you're actually part of the problem right now in a good way is because you're creating this huge amount of really, really well-run companies. Like back in the day when we – they didn't know anything. Now, these companies are actually pretty well run. They actually are getting capital half a million, million, $2 million, which is creating this huge demand for this A and B round, this yeah. five, 10, 15. And these guys aren't doing it because Barry Eggers, who was head of the NVCA, he was my guy. I, I, I ran a, a Silicon Valley company. And he, I went to him two years ago and he said, Mark, we don't, we're not doing that eight million like we used to do. We're doing 25 or two.
1: What's really interesting, Crazy. and this is a national phenomenon, we talked about in other sh- in other shows, is that the venture capital um, industry is is bifurcated in a significant way, and yes. that there are people that are really still interested in garage inventors and creating things like a data tribe or a seed fund like Amplifier when it operated, but we've never had more venture capital money going into the asset class, but it's going into larger and larger and larger funds that you know need to invest in WeWorks, mm-hmm. you know, fifty hundred million dollars a time, and. And I think it's a real big innovation challenge, and it's something that thematically is a big challenge here in DC. I want to continue this conversation. When we come back afterwards. Let's talk about now that we've talked about it's personal, you can't take it personal, maybe. The investor is your customer. There's this mismatch going on. Let's start to give folks a sense of the kind of things that they need to do well in order to raise capital and some mistakes to avoid. So we're here at What's Work in Washington with Jamie Harvey, John Funge, and Mark Mudtica. We'll be right back. Thanks to Acuity. Acuity is a leading technology innovator solving big data analytics problems. Check them out today and discover the power of Acuity. What's work in Washington extra talking about how to raise capital for a startup emerging venture I'm here with Jamie Harvey serial entrepreneur John Fung an investor at Data Tribe and Mark Modica founder of ModScore well guys we've we set the table well let's start with uh, well let's have a conversation if you're an entrepreneur if you're a founder what do you really have to do well in order to raise capital
0: one, one thing that I found was um, you got to get out there and have a lot of conversations I mean and there's a there's a bit of a random walk kind of element to it I, I see a lot of entrepreneurs being coached not to talk to this kind of person and not to talk to that kind of person and don't waste your time. You do have to be careful with your time. But, you know, sometimes I would get invited to go talk to an investment bank, and you know they clearly weren't in our asset class i didn't know why they wanted to talk to us actually they were they wanted to get educated by me about virtual objects which have turned into a billion dollar industry which we invented so um <laughs> not that you're bitter or anything <laughs> yeah. i'm not
1: bitter there's a lesson in there which is that often <laughs> right. an entrepreneur can have the great idea and but at the
0: wrong moment oh we were always we were always too early like that's going to they're going to write that on my gravestone right and yeah, me too <laughs> so yeah. the yeah. but the um but, you Hopefully know, that not that, right that <laughs> venture, th- those investment bankers tended to make introductions. They introduced us to other people like there were a yeah. lot of random connections that got made that actually eventually led to raising money. So your
1: view is uh, to take a lot of meetings.
0: I, I later tried not doing that. Like when I did Sponto with you, I was actually working a full time thing and doing it on the side and I didn't have time to go take all those meetings. I didn't get the kind of fulsome, exponential benefit of all the relationships that I was making through the networking that I had earlier in my career. And it, it, it became a problem later. But that may run counter to, I suspect,
1: what Mark's going to get at, which is you want to be tactical, right? I mean, yeah. you can't just spray it everywhere. You've got to be tactical.
3: Yeah. So um, what we're doing is – so I see there's three problems that I've digitized. One is creating data. I think there's a lot of bad data. Decks are bad. Financial models are bad. Those are all for the financial advisors. We're doing something different. We're creating new data actually where there is no data because that's what I saw in Silicon Valley is what they were buying. They were buying vision and the ability to go really big and then actually go really small really quickly with simple data and extrapolate that. So we're building a, a system around being able to create data that someone will want to see. So one is data, and I focus a lot on that. Two is speed. you got to be. You got to get there fast. So what... This random walk is like he did a fast random walk, and it's getting harder and harder to do that, right, especially because the bigger money is in one place. And, again, we're trying to track that and and create a market for that where it's not. Um, And then three is connectivity. This is almost sound like an internet company, right, data, speed, and connectivity. Are you connected? Are you targeting the right stuff? Well, there are more – like there are funds in Silicon Valley – that you've never heard of that would be all of the capital in DC. So there is this weird sort of again bifurcation there's these super giant rounds, you know, how do you get to that if you have this big idea? Cuz everyone you invested in and all the things you're invested in not one of them is going to say I don't have a big idea. This isn't a billion dollar idea right. or a half a billion dollar or 250 and you and you and you attract that. So so for us the real important thing is a your decks suck. No one funding a deck. Your financial models outdated. No one's funding that anymore. User proceeds made up. Not funding that anymore unless you have over 5 million in revenue, unless you're doing things that guys around here like Saints Cap and other people are
1: doing. So, so your, view, your view is that yes, you go broad, but you have to go broad. Ta- you have to have some tactical view. And that's, yes. But I want to bring John and Jamie before uh, we get your insight there. Because, John, my experience as an investor is I always wanted people showing up at my door early in the process and wanting to take money from me.
2: Yeah. So, I think one of the things that I think is important to keep in mind is. That when you when you are entering into this relationship, it's it is, and a lot of people sometimes make the analogy to dating or mm-hmm. marriage or something like that. And in some ways, you're going to put in place probably 200 pages of legal documents that bind you unt- together in in until like the company exits or you know and. and so, Forever, basically. Exactly. Until the company so, so exits it, it, There are really is a kind of courtship that's happening and it's really important that the chemistry works and that mutually you guys can work together well. I mean, I think there's this whole evaluation, mutual evaluation of like how well do we kind of you know, vibe and work, work together. I'm a huge fan, I mean kind of like what James was saying, like you gotta go hard at it and and but but I would add one thing to it personally. I think you want to have a lot of quality meetings that are targeted. So, and what I mean by that is if it's possible, you want to talk to people that in the firm have the authority to make a decision. Like there's a lot of people out there that are, that are relatively junior that don't have much authority to actually make decisions and they can waste a lot of an entrepreneur's time. Um, as an example, I think you need to be like, as an entrepreneur, you are, it's, it's important. It's a little bit of theater. I, I mean, I've, I, in, in kind of preparing for this today, I was thinking a little bit like, well, of the, of the you know, myriad entrepreneurs we've met in the last couple of years, data tribe, like who are the ones that really kind of sort of stuck out at me? And, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of theater, like you're, you're kind of, you know, there's a little bit of a show and, and the, 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 the the, the VCs are looking at this saying, okay, how is this person able to compel me and therefore compel a market or compel customers? And, um, and so there's a little bit of a, a, a sort of showmanship. And part of that is being really prepared. Like you have to make sure you understand who you're talking to. You have to make sure you understand your market, your competition. Like it is, it is really not good if you're in a meeting and somebody who has like a light to medium understanding of what you're doing, like a, a, an investor you're presenting to, can like just out of the air pull up a competitor that you've never heard of. Like that is basic homework that you have to do yeah. before you enter the process. Now, keeping in mind – realistically there's all it's very dynamic and there's lots of competitors that always can come up and and it is easy to play stump the chump you know what i mean and so you you have to you want to stay away from that like but as you know as an investor but it's just um you want to be very targeted and you want to be very prepared and you want to have a little bit of a little bit of showmanship in the way you do it can i grab I one sure go for it go ahead,
0: go i on. want to clarify so when i when i talk about the random walk and getting out there yeah. like at the end of the day you're doing that so you can find the right person. And so I've, I found the wrong people before. Like, so Doug was the right person. He was absolutely – and when I met you, I had targeted you. Like, I knew you were the person I wanted to talk yeah, to. Yeah, you were kind
1: of stalking me. Oh, man. I was totally stalking yeah. you
0: because you were, like, the only investor in the area that made the kind of investments that I needed to do with my company, really. Mm-hmm. But I knew that because I had talked to 30 other people and they all told me the same thing. But the at the end of the day, you're trying to get to that right relationship because when you get to those wrong relationships – I mentioned the 30 people and two of them are, like, known harassers, right – like, how did I end up with them, right? I went to a investor group. I went to one of these breakfasts. My deck broke down. They couldn't give me my deck. And I said, I'm just going to do the pitch off the top of my head. I gave the pitch, pitch of my life. Best pitch I ever gave. No deck. Yeah. Everybody ran to invest. Well, I ended op- up with 30 guys. So oftentimes, 50, just, a con- a piece. Yeah.
2: just a conversation. You know, literally no presentation. You just have a kind of chat about what you're doing is oftentimes the most effective I've so found. So I'm, know, trying to to, I'm
3: trying to fix this because this is not the way to do it. <laughs> 100 Mark, okay. So like this is completely wrong. So like you have, you have thousands of companies out there and I've been on, I created the Capital Call with Carl Grant. Mm-hmm. I've been doing pitch Cooley, competitions right. for 25 years. Mm-hmm. The thing about it is, is I can't take somebody and teach them how good Jamie is and do theater. And it shouldn't be about theater. It's important, but it shouldn't be about that because wait a second. So, so I've had people get $25 million funding because my CEO... And the investor, both are, both him, his father and the other guy had been in Vietnam, and that was interesting, right? So mod school, what we're doing is we're doing a video pitch. So I'm scripting you out so it, there's no random chance that you're going to have a bad pitch. So, so, and by doing that and showing these people like, like they do in Hollywood, I have seven questions, simple. I go through that, they video it, I write a storyboard. Even when they go off and do these pitches, now they're prepared, now they understand. And uh, But the second thing to what what you were saying before is, what you're both saying is before is, 100%, people don't understand, entrepreneurs don't understand, you're selling your company. So there's a provision in that you don't need to know anything about the docs. I'm sorry. You only need to know one thing. It doesn't matter how much of the company they're buying. There's this thing called a protective, protective provisions. A VC, you cannot raise capital, sell the company, or do anything without their permission. So whether they own 10%, 20%, 40%, you are married to them. And if you get the wrong guy who has the wrong fund and the wrong amount of money and puts you on the wrong trajectory,
0: you're dead. And even if you're doing angel funds and it's a smaller person, they don't have those protective provisions. If the person calls you every day and rides you about like, hey, did you put that ad in this magazine and blah, blah, blah. And the truth for the matter is they've never done anything on the Internet before and they've only run a factory they're going to actually pull you down. And if you end up with six of those guys, mm-hmm. you're dead.
1: Everything that you've described comes back to my mind, to the analogy John raised earlier about dating. You Ooh, know, there's 100%. nothing There's right. nothing as bad as being half drunk at 2 a.m. in a bar. <laughs> we right. do really and bad And nothing so bad. good. We've, no, never, no. we've <laughs> never done that. No, no. But my point is that I don't drink. an entrepreneur who's not thoughtful, an entrepreneur who's not tactical, an entrepreneur who's sloppy and goes about things in a half – a manner is not likely to raise capital. John, what do you think?
2: No, I think it's right. I mean, um, there you can really, again, like over, you see lots of these, right? And you can really tell the difference. See, fundamentally, like a great founder is somebody, and this is really hard to do, Okay. And when I say theater, I don't mean, like, you know, gimmicks. It's not a lot. No, no, no. I mean, I mean sort
3: of just, it's, like, it's specific, presentation. It's yeah. I think, you, I think but, you're right because that's why I'm trying to, like, yeah.
0: do it in a right way. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. But actually, but, you're doing more theater, Mark. Yeah. You're actually, like, scripting it. You're doing video. Like, it's it's actually, like, produced. It's Hollywood theater. Well, no, yeah.
3: it's it's, it's her iPhone, but I just script it. <laughs> <It's> not, <laughs> there's nothing like
0: this T.O.P
3: thing. So, so <laughs> no, but the thing
2: is, being a founder is really hard, right? It's really it's, hard. And again, I I feel very fortunate because a lot of times if I put on my entrepreneur hat, I mean, there's so many D baggy investors that have never been in your shoes. And it's so frustrating to have to like present or work, you know, like, like it's very, very frustrating as a a founder. The thing is, though, one of the very, very basic tests is can you more or less do what you're going to say you're going to do at a high quality level? And um, and so that's that's one of the things that. I, you know, I think comes across in small, subtle ways, the details matter. Like you just have to pay attention to the details and, and, um, and, and, and like, it it doesn't, it's not that everything has to be super like fancy or polished, but you have to just be attention, attentive to the details. And, and I do think it's this coldy hocks thing because nobody like it's, it's easy to say, it's like super easy to say, just go and go out. And and like raise money when you're ready. Well, that's easy to easy to say. How do you exactly know when you're ready? And so there's this delicate process of of maybe bulletproofing yourself with some trusted um, either investors or other entrepreneurs to kind of really harden yourself. So you know, no, I'm not ready. There's this weakness over here, or you know, things like that. I'm a contrarian.
3: People around here, particularly in D.C. and East Coast, it's all about revenue. You don't have enough revenue. You know, this revenue, that revenue. And they said, you can't raise money if you don't have revenue. You can't raise a lot of money. You have to do it incrementally, which I've broken several times. And I've seen VCs do that. I went to Silicon Valley Fund, and they were doing spending a million dollars a month when around here, I could, we could barely raise $2 million for anybody. So there's people out there who are winning, and the winning guys who are winning are going big and doing things based upon a future vision.
1: Well, gentlemen, this was great. Jamie Harvey, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Mark Modica, good luck with ModScore. Thank you. And uh, John Funge, I'm looking forward to great things from Data Tribe. Pleasure yeah. to be here, John.
3: And now non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew
0: Sherman.
4: Normally, you would think that every employment relationship has a single employer for each of its employees, but over the years who is an employee and who is an independent contractor and who is the employer has become a bit of a gray area can an employee really have more than one employer or can a party inadvertently be classified as what's called a joint or co-employer just because they're a franchisor or private equity fund investor in an enterprise and if yes can this other employer be held accountable and responsible for labor and employment law violations if the primary employer breaks or allegedly breaks the law? Well, under the Obama administration, the definition of who could be deemed a joint employer expanded greatly, creating fear and resentment in the franchising, construction, private equity, and even healthcare communities. Since then, the Trump administration, there has been attempts to narrow and clarify the definition. The Department of Labor finally came out with some clarity and safe harbor. Under these new rules, which go into effect March 16th of 2020, the Department of Labor established a four-factor test to determine whether or not you might have joint employment liability. The new test is based on these factors, asking the second entity— has the power to hire or fire the employee, do you supervise or control the employee's work schedule or conditions, do you determine the employee's pay rate or method of payment, and do you maintain the worker's employment records? So while this practice appears to be well within the new safe harbor rules, be on the lookout for courts and other state and local regulations that may seek to define this definition. This issue continues to evolve, and while employers have gotten some relief under the new Department of Labor standards, this fight is far from over.
3: That was your non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman.
1: Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, and our web writer is B. Aldrich. Music provided by two local bands, The Sunbathers and my own band, Two Car Living Room. If you have a story idea, don't forget to tweet us at What's Working D.C. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for joining us.
0: You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Monday afternoons at 2.30 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.